the Automated Podcast. Welcome back to the Automated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark Verbenkov. So, due to some last-minute rescheduling, I won't have a guest on until next week, but this has actually opened up an opportunity to talk about a topic that I think is really important to the entire podcast, as well as to all the ideas and technologies that are brought up, as well as to the uh, future interviews that will be done. And this, of course, is the overall context in which we find ourselves and our booming technologies in today. So I've actually written about this in one of my previous blog posts that actually focused a little bit more on trying to give a clear image of the exponential nature of technology. But today, what we'll be focusing on is the historical context. And I think this will really help uh, give an understanding as to where today's technological boom came from, but also perhaps where it is likely to go, which I think many of us are really interested in. So luckily, actually, this past week, I gave an internal webinar with my work uh, on this topic uh, entitled, Are We Entering a Fifth Industrial Revolution? And I'll really be pulling from this and focusing on the four industrial revolutions, which was the, which was the focus of that presentation. But I think here, as it's more relevant to the podcast, I'll focus a lot more on the automation trends as well as on the social impact. So let's get started. So the way that I want to organize this is look at all four of the industrial revolutions and then end the episode with kind of an open question that many people are asking of whether we've already entered the fifth industrial revolution. But to start off, we'll look at the first one, which started in around 1760 and went to about 1820 or 1840. It, of course, started in Britain, and this was the first real attempt to replace manpower with machine power. And one of the uh, iconic technologies, and it's actually been argued this is probably the most important technology uh, of all time, especially as it relates to the modern age, is the James Watt steam engine. So the reason that this was so important was because it used drastically less coal to operate, uh, created more energy, but also really key is that it enabled the use of energy in different geographical locations. Up until this point, um, water wheels and wind turbines were the dominant modes of actually producing energy, but you could only use them in very specific geographical locations. So with this uh, steam engine that James Watt created, you're actually able to have energy generated at any place. And the social consequence of this was the urbanization uh, of our cities. So up until this point, 80% or greater of citizens were actually living in self-reliant rural farms, focusing mostly on agricultural work. But as soon as the steam engine enabled larger factories to be built, this created a capital-intensive urban factory work which dominated the landscape. The reason that it was capital-intensive was because the machines inside the factory were actually very expensive, which required some form of loan in order to actually set up. Individual people really couldn't compete with the massive amount of uh, product output that these factories were churning out. And the main thing that they were doing was uh, textiles. So this is actually where a number of the other iconic technologies come into play. Maybe you've heard of uh, the spinning jenny or the cotton gin or the power loom. Uh, These were the 
machines that were able to either uh, prepare cotton or other textiles or actually produce the textiles that Britain was making at the time in drastically higher amounts, uh, sometimes up to 500 times faster than individual people. So this had a number of really interesting impacts. One of the first being that many unskilled laborers could actually do the work of some of the high-end craftsmen or artisans of the time and actually being more productive. So this is actually where many of the unmarried women, as well as orphans that many of us have heard of, were being put to work in the factories for 12 to 14 hour days, uh, six days a week. The second social repercussion uh, I've actually spoken about in one of the very first episodes of the podcast, and this was the generation or the creation of the Luddite movement. As you can imagine, the craftsmen and the artisan that had been completely displaced by these new technologies lost their social status as well as their main form of employment. And what sprung from this was one of the first movements that was against technology, and they actually took up arms in many instances and are well known for smashing, literally smashing, many of the machines that were in these factories. And this mindset has, of course, continued with us today, where anybody labeled a Luddite is simply somebody that is against technology. And finally, we have the third social impact, which is population explosion. As always, you can refer to the show notes where I will have a graph showing the uh, absolute exponential growth and boom of uh, human population across civilization that really kicks off as soon as the James Watt steam engine and the first industrial revolution kicks off. So moving on to the second industrial revolution, this started in 1870 and went to 1914 with the start of World War I. And this is overall characterized with the start of electrification, but also uh, increase in the use of communications like the telegraph, the telephone, and even the radio, but also, um, mass production lines or assembly lines most iconically used in the Ford assembly line in order to produce the Ford Model T and the other vehicles that that organization produced. But it was actually electricity that allowed for the Ford assembly line to be generated in the first place. So building up from the James Watt steam engine, using electricity, you didn't have to have the power generated at a central place. You could actually move it around the factory. And this enabled uh, many of the machines that were used in the assembly line to be moved around and configured in such a way that the parts could be brought onto the assembly line where you would have workers continuously doing more or less the same actions and build the car much more efficiently this way. So with this increased uh, production capability, you also had, as I mentioned before, increased communications ability. So the telephone in 1976 and the radio finally at the end of the 1800s exponentially increase the ability for people to communicate, exchange ideas, and really understand the new technologies that were being implemented, but also, of course, understand uh, social or public issues at a much greater scale than at any other time before. And speaking about scale, the last main technology of this industrial revolution was the railroad. So due to a new process called the Bessemer process, uh, it's not important to know how it works, but 
just simply that more steel was able to be produced and it actually lasted 10 times more than iron. So steel was starting to be used to build bridges, railroads, skyscrapers, ships, guns, tanks, etc, etc, etc. But for the railroads, this meant that you can have much more powerful and large locomotives transporting more goods at greater efficiencies across longer distances. So with this, you can really start to see signals of the start of a globalization of the planet, right? You have increased communication capabilities, you have increased production capabilities, and maybe more importantly, you have increased logistics and transportation capabilities. So what were the social repercussions? First of all, you had massive living standard improvements. Everything from uh, the first time that sewage systems were being put in place, uh, water being filtered, uh, public health was considered for some of the first times. You then also had uh, reduced amounts of child labor. Uh, but I think more importantly with this and really connected to the population explosion and the continued population explosion, what you have is the reduction of the impact of crop failures. So up until this point, if any region or city had crop failures, it very often led to starvation, which would of course reduce the total population amount. But now with the increased uh, communication capabilities, and as I mentioned, most importantly, the transportation capabilities, you could just simply tap into the more national or multinational markets through rail or through boat, transport the food that was necessary to subsist a population. This is also really interestingly the first time that a birth of a true middle class comes about, right? With these economic gains and boosts that you get, uh, prices are lowered for everything people are able to consume and uh, consumerism is actually born at this period as well. But the flip side of this, there is the negative connection in the sense that, as I mentioned before, you have tanks, guns, and armored vehicles that are being generated um, for the first time at, at, at scale for many of these countries. Thus, military powers are increasing. And it's no wonder then that this second industrial revolution ends as the First World War begins. Now, one additional kind of, I think, really interesting side point here is today we are now seeing a, I would say, a resurgence of the electric vehicle uh, becoming very popular and growing in the amount of vehicles being bought and produced every single year. However, in 1900, uh, there was already one third of all vehicles on the US roads were actually electric. And that's in comparison with today's number of a very meager 1.8%, although of course growing. So electrification really was a substantial and very important technology in this industrial revolution. And was really at one point seen to be the absolute future. There was lots of electric lighting going up in a number of cities, of course vehicles, um, but the electrification of homes didn't happen until later on at around 1920 or so. That's when the private individual residences were starting to be electrified. But this trend wasn't to continue. The two world wars happened, which set back uh, a lot of industrial and technological progress, although of course moved it forward in other areas. But uh, the third industrial revolution started in around 1950 and really ended in 2015. 
So the third industrial revolution is often called the digital revolution. And it really starts with the invention of the microprocessor uh, in 1969 by the Intel Corporation. And this really allowed the world of technology anyways to move from an analog reality into a digital reality. And then of course with this, we spark the beginning of the information age. I think it's interesting to note that uh, the information age, although I would still argue that we're still within it, um, some of the key ideas here is the actual replication and copying of information. And then linked to that, it's the possibility to easily move this information between different or various forms of media and then access or distribute it remotely. So that is argued as one of the core concepts of the information age, rather than just the uh, continuous growth of the amount of information that we actually have access to. So again, within this industrial revolution, we see a massive boom in the communication technologies, uh, specifically with the introduction of cell phones that became ubiquitous by the early 2000s. And then by 2010, of course, we see over 3 billion people across the planet with personal cell phones being used. But before this, we of course have the two most iconic technologies of the third industrial revolution. The first being the digital computer. Actually, the home computer started uh, coming about in the 1970s. And it was interesting in the United States, there's only 50% of houses that actually own one by 2000. So it's been 20 years since then, but I think that we can still say that this third industrial revolution happened very, very recently. Um, and the second technology, of course, is the World Wide Web. This became accessible in 1991. It was developed before then, but it was only used by governments and universities. Um, some interesting stats here is that there were 1 billion users on the internet by 2005. And it was only until 2016 that half of the world became connected. I think now there's a uh, roughly between 76 or 80% of the world that's connected to the internet. And this is of course growing uh, every single year, but we're still not uh, fully connected to everybody on the planet as of yet. So one of the interesting points between these now three industrial revolutions is that the scope of these technologies continue to grow. And this is really seen in, of course, the social repercussions. I think that there are too many repercussions or consequences of these technologies to get into depth about uh, in this podcast episode. But one of the main things that came out of this specific digital revolution is, of course, the privacy and tracking concerns. So this has been an issue that has been discussed on the podcast before. I think that most of us now are constantly bombarded with fears or at least general concerns about the privacy and tracking issues that many leading thinkers or whistleblowers are bringing to our attention. I think it goes a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast, but uh, it's important to note that this is uh, one of the real social repercussions of the third industrial revolution that continues with us today. And I really think that this will be one of the things that continues with us for quite some time. But now let's move into the fourth industrial revolution, which is where we find ourselves today. Now, as much as I think that the first three industrial revolutions are incredibly interesting and really show some uh, massive transformations in both 
technology, industry, but also social implications. I think that the fourth industrial revolution is perhaps the most interesting because it starts to really blur a lot of the lines that we have taken uh, as stable for such a long time. So it was only actually in 2015 that the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum introduced or coined the term. So Klaus Schwab actually started this off or kicked it off in an article where he wrote his argument for why we are now in a new industrial revolution. I'll of course have a link to that article in the show notes. I personally think it is a phenomenal article that really gives some clarity as to what many people might be lost in today with all the technological uh, progress as well as sociological or political problems that we seem to be constantly facing. But I want to go back a little bit to define what this fourth industrial revolution actually is. And I think the, the best overall characterization of it is the combination of hardware, software, and biology with the linked communications and connectivity that many of our new technologies are bringing us. So this is where I was really talking about lines being blurred. It's really the physical, digital, and biological systems that we've become so used to, they are all starting to merge together in unique and very interesting ways. So I will get into that in a moment, but uh, one of the last things that I need to mention is that data and analytics is really the driving factor for this industrial revolution to actually happen. So as I did with the other three revolutions, here are some of the iconic technologies that are expected to have a large number of breakthroughs in the next foreseeable period. So we have robotics, uh, biotech, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, uh, the list goes on and on. I think this is also one of the key ideas that you can take from this episode of the different industrial revolutions. In each new revolution, there are more and more technologies that are having uh, a larger impact. And Klaus really explains that the fourth industrial revolution is a little bit unique, specifically because the velocity or the speed at which these technologies are coming out is much faster. And again, I can refer you to the blog post that I wrote that looks at Moore's law and the exponential growth of technology, if you're interested in understanding a little bit more as to why things are speeding up. But the main takeaway here should be that not only are there more technologies and they're coming out faster, but of course the scope of the impact of those technologies is much greater, right? If you compare the previous industrial revolution's social impact to specifically this fourth industrial revolution, there are only a few key areas in society that are impacted. But with the fourth industrial revolution, the scope is much, much broader. Again, I think it's best to direct you towards that article, which really goes into further depth about those impacts. I can touch on it briefly though, because I think it's it's quite important. So briefly, Klaus outlines three different areas, three different main areas, right? The business, government, and then individual people. For the business impacts, I think one of the things is actually something that we all have been experiencing uh, over the last couple of years. And this really has to do with uh, product enhancement as well as customer expectations as he defines. So one of the main things here is that the access of new products is easier than never before. You don't really have to go that far to be able to see or experience this. Uh, some of the examples are like booking a flight 
ordering a cab online, buying a product through, say, Amazon or any other type of online retailer, uh, even listening to music or any other form of entertainment. All of this now can be done remotely, which is the first time in history where this is actually possible. It was always done in a local setting previously. And these entirely new ways of consuming goods and services has a further effect of creating significant disruption in existing or incumbent industries. And this has the impact of removing longtime players or forcing massive internal changes in the existing players in order for them to remain relevant. And I think that this is very clearly seen as the startup ecosystem has been booming over the last uh, 10, 15 years or so, as the latest technologies enable smaller groups of people to continuously make bigger and bigger impacts. And I think that the same argument can be applied to the second area or government. And the interesting point here is that uh, with this increasing innovation potential, there are specific biological or autonomous systems that individuals or even small groups uh, can use to be able to cause great amounts of harm. So as startups have smaller groups of people, they're able to cause greater disruption. The same is possible in the geopolitical arena. And then thirdly, our notions of the individual is actually being changed. So I touched about this very briefly when I was discussing about the blurring between the lines, um, specifically when it comes to biology and the digital. But I think here is where one of the kind of main trends is really encapsulated by this fourth industrial revolution idea, and that is the quantified self. And this is... Um, an idea that through the tracking and through the different health apps that we have, uh, this is leading to a better understanding of our own individual selves, but through a quantified or mathematical breakdown where we're able to understand how many steps we're taking or how many calories we're burning uh, with very precise measurements. And uh, specifically in the article that Klaus lays out the fourth industrial revolution, this is going to lead to a different mindset of an augmented self being actually possible. So this is where the idea of blurring uh, biology actually takes place, right? So you have this initial step where we're quantifying and actually getting benefits of quantifying the different activities that we're doing. But then this leads to kind of a slippery slope where the augmented self is an eventual possibility in the future. But that's a little bit outside of the realm of the fourth industrial revolution and just kind of touches on this as a possibility that could continue on in further years. Now, though I personally find this idea really, really interesting, it is a little bit outside of the scope of this podcast episode. But the final socioeconomic impacts are very, very relevant to the uh, concepts discussed in the podcast. The very first one, is of course unemployment due to automation uh, across our entire industry rather than one specific sector. Uh, the idea of the fourth industrial revolution really pushes the possibility of large degrees of unemployment due to these new levels of automation that are actually possible. And it's here that I just want to briefly touch on something called industry 4.0. So many people often uh, construe the two Industry 4.0 and the Fourth Industrial Revolution as the same thing, but it's very clearly outlined here that Industry 4.0 is simply a subset of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And uh, the Industry 4.0 really just focuses on the production or the manufacturing 
of the different goods and products that we see across the entire world. Uh, I just want to read a really quick quote from the article that I think summarizes the kind of overall characterization of Industry 4.0 really, really well. So it is this. The use of large-scale machine-to-machine communication and Internet of Things deployments to provide increased automation, improved communication, and self-monitoring, as well as smart machines that can analyze and diagnose issues without the need for human intervention. And of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion on the fourth industrial revolution, this is really possible through the big data and as well the analytics, which are the real drivers of this new form of manufacturing. So I really think that with that understanding, it puts this entire podcast and all the ideas that we're discussing and the future uh, interviews that will be had really into context of this procession through the last roughly 300 years. So I'm really excited to be able to use this podcast to explore uh, this one specific aspect of uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, also, because I think that this is the key jumping off point to the last two things that I will talk about in this podcast episode. So the first one here is the main fear of the fourth industrial revolution, and that is the socioeconomic inequality that is generated from these new technologies, from the new implementation of these amazing tools that we have now. So it is really argued that the largest beneficiaries of innovation tend to be the providers of intellectual and physical capital, you know, the uh, innovators, the shareholders, the investors, etc. And this, I think, really explains the rising gap in wealth between those that are dependent on capital versus those that are dependent on labor. And the result of this is really a job market with a very strong demand at the high and low ends, but a hollowing out of the middle, which I think that we've been seeing across the Western nations over the past uh, decade or so, uh, and is possibly leading to the populist uprising in a number of the leaders in, say, America, uh, Britain, or in other countries that we've also been seeing rather recently as well. If you're interested in this point, I can really recommend you to read uh, The Second Machine Age. I also have that up in the resources page of my website. Uh, there's a terrific uh, couple of chapters that really discuss this winner-take-all market uh, or winner-take-all economy that I think that the fourth industrial revolution is really enabling and will continue to be uh, increasing over the next couple of years. So those are the main ideas that I thought were relevant to bring up in this contextual look or this historical contextual look of the four industrial revolutions. The final thing that I want to leave everybody with today is this fifth industrial revolution idea that is being posited by a number of different uh, thinkers out there. Now, this is not something that is uh, completely set in stone, right? It's only been some five years since the identification of a fourth industrial revolution. Um, but I think it's interesting nonetheless to kind of leave uh, the episode with kind of an open question. Um, and the fifth industrial revolution is really posited as the era of artificial intelligence, right? So we've seen and I've talked about growing examples of narrow or weak artificial intelligence. I think there was uh, even a recent article that came out, a uh, news article showcasing that uh, MSN has fired off a number of the journalists that are working and replacing it with artificial intelligence software. So this is one example, and we can see many, many of these happening uh, throughout our economy. 
And this touches on maybe the true distinction between the first four industrial revolutions and this potential fifth. And that is the first four really focused on impacting the human labor potential, right? So the physical power that humans are able to enact was being reduced or disrupted with the new machines and technologies that we were bringing about. But this potential fifth industrial revolution, the era of artificial intelligence, is the first one where the cognitive power of humans is being impacted. And I think that this will have not just me, but you know, many of those people that are thinking about this out there are thinking that this new era of cognitive disruption will be as impactful as the first industrial revolution was all the way back in 1760. But of course, this won't happen overnight and it will not take place across our entire society instantaneously. But I think it is nevertheless something that is really interesting to look out for, pay attention to, and at least have a general understanding of how it works as we move forward. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a like or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, feel free to do so over Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for Automated Podcast. On the website, automatedpodcast.org, you can leave a comment on any of the episodes, read the transcripts, and look at the sources I use in all of these episodes. There are also blog articles and additional resources and information on this topic, and podcast if you are looking for more. See you next week. The Automated Podcast. 